The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing a trade between Hamilton and Winnipeg. A huge upcoming game between the Riders and Ticats. Sean Lemon's candidacy for most outstanding defensive player. The Edmonton Elks setting a dubious record. And a raucous crowd in Ottawa at the annual Panda Game. But first... Paul Apolise was fired by the Ottawa Red Blacks following a 34-19 loss to the BC Lions, finishing his tenure in the nation's capital with a 6-22 record over parts of two seasons. GM Sean Burke indicated that the move was made in order to finish the season strong, given that the team technically remains eligible to potentially make the postseason. Special teams coordinator Bob Dice has been named the interim head coach and appears to be a candidate to permanently take over the role, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. Was this the right move for Ottawa? Yes, it was. And and in reality, that's a move that they probably should have made sooner. This team had a bye week two weeks ago. That would have been the perfect time, right, to install a new coaching staff and give Mr. Dice a little bit more of a runway heading into the team's final four games. I'm not suggesting that the Ottawa Red Blacks would have won in BC this past week. They did not play very well in that game, but it would at least would have given the new staff a little bit more time to become ingratiated with the players, right? To get things set up because let's remember Paul Apolis was wearing two hats on this coaching staff. He was serving as the offensive coordinator as well as the head coach. Bob Dice does not have a new offensive coordinator set. He has served as an offensive assistant in this league, was an OC with the Riders back in 2012. But it's been a long time since he coached on that side of the ball. He's brought in a little bit of help on special teams with Corey McDarmid taking over some of those duties. He has not unveiled yet if he's going to also be bringing help on the offensive side of the ball. For Ottawa, for me, this is a good opportunity to see what Dice can do in this limited role. Everybody I've spoken to, Seems to hold Dice in extremely high, high esteem 
The players there seem to have a lot of respect for Dice. He's been there since 2016 when he took over as the special teams coordinator. He's been there for a long time, and yes, the team has lost a lot of games over the last few years, but the team was very successful in Dice's first couple of years there, and uh, I do think that Dice is not only a candidate, but a very legitimate candidate to potentially be the permanent head coach with the Red Blacks, provided he gets that opportunity, provided that team succeeds over the next four four games, whether that means winning a bunch of games or simply showing signs of solid improvement. Yeah. I never like to see anyone fired. Uh, unfortunately, it's a reality of pro football. And in this case, my take on the Agua Red Blacks is it's, it's too little too late. Now, I appreciate from Sean Burke's perspective, I mean, Ottawa was still in the playoff hunt. They're still in the playoff hunt technically right now. And he wanted to give Paul Lapolis every opportunity to turn things around. This is a guy, of course, he inherited as head coach, and he's given him far more leeway than we've seen other head coaches being given in that circumstances. I can appreciate that, but ultimately, if you wanted to spark your team to better things, you had to make this move sooner because the Ottawa Red Blacks were going nowhere with Paul Lapolice. As much as he's been a guru as an offensive coordinator, doing both jobs was not serving him well. That offense was not good enough in Ottawa this season, regardless of who was that quarterback, whether it was Jeremiah Mazzoli early on, Caleb Evans, or Nick Arbuckle. It just hasn't been good enough. And if you really wanted to give your team a chance to make the postseason and you really wanted to give Bob Dice an audition, he's a guy I think absolutely deserves it, did well as an interim head coach in a previous stint as well. You should have made this move not just two weeks ago, by earlier in the season even to get a full look at what you could do with Bob Dice at the helm and potentially spark your thing, your, your team to something greater because we knew from very early on that this was a lost season. And to me, when you know it's a lost season, that means it's a development year. And too often teams cling to the last vestiges of hope and they actually hurt themselves in the long run, in my opinion. I think that was the case here as well. What I want to see is the episode of Behind the R of how this decision was made and ultimately went down. You want to put out unique content if you're the CFL, and in this case, Ottawa, that would have done really well. I know we don't want to necessarily see people losing their jobs, but ultimately, drama sells. I think that would have been a great episode, but more to the question here, it did happen way too late. Paul Apple should have been fired during that bye week and potentially even earlier. It was very clear for a long time there that he's just not a leader of men from the head coach perspective. And I'm not saying that even from an analytical perspective, that's from talking to players and people in the organization in Ottawa. And even if you go back to his previous stint with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, he is much better in that offensive coordinator role because you don't have to be that overall leader like, let's say, a Mike O'Shea was when Lapalise was drawing up all of those dynamic offenses. He could focus in on one thing, which he does really well. We can't take that away from Lapalise whatsoever. Bob Dice is held in high regard by a lot of people around the league, and this is a chance for him to potentially put himself in the lead to be the next permanent head coach in Ottawa. And there are a number of names, I think, 
that should be considered if you look around the league. Buck Pierce has got some buzz in Winnipeg, the offensive coordinator. I'm not necessarily sure the Red Blacks want to go down that route again, but Pierce is a different guy. Jason Shivers has created a buzz around the league with the way that he's led that defense in Saskatchewan. Above all else that has gone wrong there, the defense has been solid. You look at the Calgary Stampeders and Brent Monson could be an intriguing candidate. He's from Ontario. He's a guy that grew up in Hamilton and Sean Burke spent a number of years with the Tiger Cats. So if Burke looks at that Winnipeg model of a Canadian GM and a Canadian head coach, perhaps he goes with Monson or Mark Killam, special teams coordinator that is believed to be a guy that could be a dynamic head coach in this league has spent a lot of time around John Huffnagel and Dave Dickinson in Calgary and could be a unique hire. And I think one guy that should get some buzz is Jordan Maximic, the offensive coordinator with the BC Lions for how he was able to help Nathan work explode. And then also the transition that he's had to go through to Vernon Adams Jr. Now I'm not saying that, Adams Jr. has set the world on fire, come anything close to what Rourke has done when he was running Max Simic's offense. But with what he's done there, he should at least get a little bit of buzz. But I really like the idea of Burke going with a Canadian, whether that's Killam or Monson. I think Monson is underrated in some ways because he's such a quiet guy, goes about his business there in Calgary on a defense that leads the league in sacks, is up there among the most consistent and best units in the league and that defense in Calgary really has held that team together, especially the last two years with Bo Levi Mitchell, not necessarily playing at his level that we're used to seeing from him in 2021 and the quarterback change that they've gone through this year. Jake Mayer has flashed and been great at points, but other times he has struggled and that defensive unit has really held in there. Well, Something that I, I think is, is interesting is sometimes, you know, teams will, will fire the head coach. And though, of course, they never come out and say it publicly, it's very obvious who the next head coach is going to be. And from everything I've been able to gather from this situation in Ottawa, that could not be further from the truth in this case. This is going to be an actual uh, job posting, so to speak. It will be an earnest interview process. Um, this is not a situation where, you know, a GM is earmarked. Oh, okay. Our, well, I had this quarterback with this team. He's going to be the, the, the head coach or, Oh, well, you know, everybody knows that you know, I'm bringing in this guy to, to be the head coach. I do believe this is an actual process uh, that will be taken. And there's a lot of worthy candidates out there who are deserving of, I th- you know, especially first time head coaching opportunities, right? I think sometimes this league is a little bit guilty of having retreads and recycled people, Going into the same roles, uh, to me, I'm excited to see what Ottawa does because, again, this does seem to be an actual job search, not a fake job search like we sometimes see, not even just in, in professional football, but in industries you know, uh, across the board sometimes. On the well, flip side of that, I think we also need to note that Paul Lapolis is the type of guy, especially in this league, who's going to land on his feet somewhere potentially in, a, in an offensive coordinator uh, role. I, I don't think head coaching necessarily isn't on the table in the immediate future, but there's a number of teams out there that maybe aren't satisfied with what their offense produced this year, or will have an OC who could potentially be a candidate for one of these head coach openings that we're going to have this offseason. We know of two right now in terms of Montreal and Ottawa. There could be others open down the road as well. 
if you're a team in need of an offensive coordinator, Paul Lapolis is just about as enticing a guy as you could possibly imagine in this league based on what he did in the past when he was at the helm for the Winnipeg Blue Mommers in their first great cup year. So he will land on his feet somewhere, and the question becomes where that's going to be. Yeah, there's been a uh, – I'll also address this. There was a tweet sent out, uh, I think it was last week from down in the States, about Henry Burris being a strong candidate for this job. I'm not saying Henry Burris has no chance of getting this job, but I've led to believe that that rumor is not true. He is not the front runner for this job, and uh, it will be a true open and honest competition, which is exciting. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Hamilton Tiger Cats are set to meet on Friday in arguably the biggest game of the CFL regular season so far. A win for the Riders would move them six points ahead of the Tiger Cats for third and the final playoff spot in the East Division, while a win by the Tabbies would put them back in control of their own destiny to possibly make the playoffs. Who do you have winning this game, JC? Saskatchewan or Hamilton? I mean, that's a tough choice because I'm not particularly confident in either team's ability. But when you look at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I mean, they've lost four straight now. They've lost eight of their last 10. I think we imagine them as better than they actually are because of the relatively hot start they had to the season. Now, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, by any stretch of the imagination, have not been good, right? They have not been consistent. but if Dane Evans continues to play like he has the last couple weeks, and again, last week wasn't as good as his upset against Winnipeg, but it was still a solid performance, no turnovers. If he can do that, I think the Tabbies could pull the upset here, and that would have some pretty drastic ramifications for the Riders' hope of being the crossover team in the East Division. That's the thing, though. It wouldn't even be an upset, at least according to the odds makers. And you look at the lines on 3downnation.com, the Tiger Cats are a short home favorite, or at least the opening line had them as such. And usually CFL betting odds don't really move that much in terms of the point spread. So I can see what the bookmakers are seeing here. The Tiger Cats defense has been solid by and large this season. They just really haven't been helped out by the offense and Dane Evans turning over the football a bunch. And JC, you're on the money. Evans obviously diced up Winnipeg and that was at home. And I think that's a critical part here in terms of diagnosing this ball game and what could happen is that Evans comes back to play at Tim Hortons field after he had that incredible game, a career high five touchdown passes against the blue bombers and is going against a Saskatchewan team that, has admittedly from, you know, the head coach and the players that talks in the media lacked confidence in the last little while. And you can understand what the losses piling up there and also the pressure. I think there is a smaller amount of pressure on the Tiger Cats to win the game. But on the flip side, Orlando Steinauer, since he's been there in Hamilton, has had a way to get his team ready from a leadership perspective for these critical moments. Like they won games with David Watford last year to help get them into the playoffs. So it might sound a little funny, but I think the Ticats are trending somewhat upwards, if that's even possible in the East division and the Riders, we just don't know what to make of them. They go up 10, nothing against Edmonton and then can't punch back after they get hit in the mouth a few times. And Cody Fajardo can't solve that 
three-man pressure and nine guys dropping into pass coverage. And if you're the Tiger Cats and defensive coordinator Mark Washington, you're thinking, we could throw all kinds of different things at this guy. And he's just not really seeing the field all that clearly consistently right now. He's had flashes and he's played better. And I know Jeremy O'Day, the GM, wanted to point that out. But ultimately, what quarterbacks are measured by is one thing, and that's winning. And Cody Fajardo's win-loss record over the last little while is not great, to say the least. I am going to disagree with you, Mr. Dunk. I have the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to win this game uh, for, for a few reasons. Uh, one is they, they simply can't afford not to. Um, let's, let's look at the schedule right from here on out. The Riders after this upcoming game have a bye and then a back-to-back with the Calgary Stampeders. Now, we don't know exactly what the situation will be with Calgary by those last two games. But there is a decent chance that that team will still have something to play for. They can't finish first in the West, but Calgary can still finish second, even though they are slightly behind BC at the moment. And they already have lost the season series against the Lions. The Ticats on the flip side, they do have to go to Calgary the next week after playing Saskatchewan. But then they get a home and home against the Ottawa Red Blacks, who we just finished talking about are, while mathematically still eligible to make the playoffs, I think we all know realistically that's not going to happen. That team will be playing for pride at that point and has not been particularly good uh, this season. At times, they've been awful, though, again, we have to wait and see how they'll respond following the coaching change from from Paul Apolis to Bob Dice. And by the way, I'm picking the Red Blacks to win this week. I am. I think they're going to come out and get a win for Mr. Dice in his first game. That being said... I think that the Riders are getting healthy along the offensive line at the right time. Taron Vaughn is back at left tackle. He's their best offensive lineman. They have Dan Clark back securing the center spot. He was a little shaky at times in that game at IG Field, but he has was playing his first game in four months, boys, coming back from a broken leg. It'll take him a little bit of time to get up to game speed. And I actually think Cooper Richardson is the best right tackle that the Riders have had this season. That's been a really trouble spot for them. He's come in as a rookie and played okay. Uh, so if that offensive line can control Hamilton's pass rush, which has not been all that vaunted this season, to be perfectly honest, I do have the Riders winning this game and and essentially punching their ticket to the crossover playoff spot. Because if they don't win this game, boys, I'm not saying the Riders are out, but I think if the Ticats win this week, their path to making the playoffs is a lot easier than Saskatchewan's path will be. Yeah, I, I just don't trust the quarterbacks in, in this game. I mean, or I don't trust Cody Fajardo specifically. When we look at these two players, we've been highly critical of both Fajardo and Dane Evans. But we have to give Evans credit the last few weeks for addressing some of those issues with a sports psychologist. And I, I've liked his mentality the last couple games, and I like that changing him. I still haven't seen it from Fajardo. And while he's been better overall on the season than I think Evans has been. I like Evans's high end far better than I like Fajardo's high end. And I think this may be a circumstance where if a quarterback can have that type of high end game, it's all over from there. The team with the better quarterback will win. And right now I'm begging on Dang Evans's high end talent especially with Evans at home and full credit to him for recognizing an area of weakness and going and trying to correct it with a mental coach, even in season, that's a difficult thing to do while these games are coming at you 
but he's done it. And that's exactly why I like the Tiger Cats in this spot because Evans has been in some of these pressure situations before, led a remarkable comeback in the East Division final last year, going perfect in the second half. Now, I don't think he's been great in pressure pack situations, but if you're going to give me Dane Evans or Cody Fajardo, a decision between those two guys in a pressure pack situation, right now I'm going with Evans until Fajardo shows me otherwise. Now, goalposts notwithstanding, maybe we're talking about Fajardo in a different way in those pressure pack situations, but still I haven't seen anything differently from what Fajardo has said to the media or how he's acted on the field to make me want to trust him in this situation. If anything, you can see more frustration coming out of Fajardo than we've ever seen slamming the ball down on the turf and just visibly upset while walking off the field or on the sideline. Now it's easy to enjoy when you're playing really well. And by and large part, we saw that in 2019 with him, but that visible frustration, I think is something that can, hurt your team and I'll give you an example with a team right there in Regina the University of Regina Rams and head coach Mark McConkie recognized that last year they did not perform and close out games in the fourth quarter they went in and brought in a mental coach and really worked on body language McConkie was doing push-ups and has done the most push-ups for the record of anybody involved with that Rams team because they want to show not necessarily fake positive body language but encouraging body language and their understanding how that can affect the mood of the rest of the team. And I think that's something and I've been banging on this for a while with Fajardo that he needs to really look into if the university team is doing it there in Regina, the pro team certainly should be. And the rough riders should be trying to help out their quarterback. So Hodge, I guess it's JC and I on one side going against you on the other side with the roughies winning. I just can't see it, man. It, would be a long shot if we had to put a line on it. And I'm here for the chaos. I would love to see Ryder Nation just go ballistic if this team doesn't even make the playoffs in a great cup year. I'm not saying I'm cheering for it to happen, but drama is spicy. Okay, boys? We gotta the, admit it. But let's, let's also get it right. The most interesting thing that could happen as a result of this season is a Winnipeg-Saskatchewan Grey Cup with the riders as the guests in their own building. And if that happens, boys, I know I'll be drinking beers on both of you all week long. <laughs> I, I would love to see the bombers in the riders home locker room. While the riders are in the away team locker room, the, the amount of pearl clutching that would happen in Saskatchewan. If that were the case, I can only imagine. Three Down Nation contributor Ryan Ballantyne wrote an opinion column this week stating it's time for veteran defensive end Sean Lemon to be named the CFL's most outstanding defensive player. Do you guys agree that Lemon is the right choice for this award? I believe Lemon has a strong case with what he's done with this Calgary Stampeders defense from a production and also leadership standpoint. I talked about it earlier with Brent Monson and how this defense has been a real consistent unit for the Stampeders, especially over the last two seasons. And Lemon's been leading the way last year and even this year. And if we're going to talk about MODP candidates, you know, outside of Winnipeg, and there's not necessarily a guy standing out there from a statistical perspective, like Willie Jefferson did in 2019 or Adam Big Hill did in 2021, 
or how historically low their points allowed were last year. Then you look at what it took for Jefferson to win that award in 2019. And then you go back and look at John Chick many moons ago and the stats that he had. And Lemon is right there. I think he gets disrespected and wrongfully so for people using a lazy narrative that he can't play against the run, but he has been stout. He's got double digit sacks again at 34 years old. He's on pace to be the fastest player in CFL history to record 100 sacks. And he's been a leader on that defense and really, I think matured compared to some of his earlier days in the CFL. And then when he had his stint in the NFL with Pittsburgh Steelers and San Francisco 49ers, and then came back here. He's a much different guy, and I just don't think it's fair for that narrative of him bouncing around to teams to be tied to him now because I think he has become a leader. Talk to players around the league. They have a lot of respect for Lemon and helping them with guidance in how to navigate being a pro. So I think Lemon is certainly a legitimate MODP candidate, and honestly, I have a hard time seeing many other guys making a stronger case. Yes, Larry Dean and Darnell Sankey have had nice productive seasons in Saskatchewan, but that's a team that has a losing record right now. So I'm curious who you guys think should be in the combo. To me, the the most outstanding defensive player in the CFL is Wynton McManus, the weak side linebacker for the Toronto Argonauts. But there's two interesting things that go along with that. One is the fact that he plays in the East Division, right? Typically over the last few years, when it comes time to award season, it's kind of a formality who's coming out of the East Division. We all know that it's going to the West Division candidate. At least that's certainly been true over the last two CFL seasons in 2019 and 2021. The other interesting thing is that when McManus suffered an MCL injury, it's reported by Frank Ziccarelli of the Toronto Sun. And he is expected to miss a month. He's not going to play the last month of the season. He possibly won't play till till the playoffs, which means all of a sudden Lemon has a legitimate shot, I think, to pull ahead in not only, you know, the the, the divisional round, which I, I I agree right now he would probably get my vote divisionally speaking for most of any defensive player. But he also has a good opportunity to put his best foot forward for the award on a league level, right? There's a separate conversation to be had about how injuries should play into awards. I think at MOP, there's going to be a conversation. Is it Zach Kolaris? Is it Nathan Rourke? I know we've talked about it on this show previously. JC and I do not agree on this. I think that it's Kolaris. JC thinks that eight games is enough, apparently, to be named the MOP. Fair enough. Whatever. He's entitled to be wrong if he wants to be. Um, but, <laughs> Wait till you hear my MODP cake. But I, I will say, out West, I do think Darnell Sankey deserves to be in the conversation, Larry Dean. But they're also going to split that vote a little bit, right, out West. You know, a couple of rider linebackers versus the pass rusher on what, at the end of the day, has been the best defense in the CFL this year in Calgary. I don't think they've been the best by a long shot. I think Winnipeg is right there. I think BC secondary has done some very good things. I think Saskatchewan's front seven has done some very good things. And I think Toronto's defense has also been underrated. But that said, I think Calgary does have the best unit. And so I would not at all be surprised if Lemon won the award. I think it would be a deserving, uh, a deserve. he's certainly a deserving candidate. I'll put it that way. Yeah, this is a little bit of a, a difficult conversation because at the end of the day, I think Sean Lemon should a- absolutely be Calgary's nominee. It's hard to argue with what he's accomplished this year. He's been absolutely fantastic. A couple of counterpoints 
to why I don't think he should be the MODP. And and currently, I agree, it's probably Wynton McManus is the guy I would give my vote to before I tell you my dark horse in a second. But Sean Lemon, as much as he has the, sh- the sack production, unfortunately, advanced statistics in the CFL are hard to come by, but our colleague uh, who calls the Bomber Games, Derek Taylor, does put out some occasionally. And based on his last tweets in regard to pressure numbers, Sean, number, Sean Lemon is not in the top eight in pressures right now. Now he's second in sacks, and that's incredible. But in terms of down-to-down impact, Sean Lemon, and this is part of the reason why he's had something of a reputation for not being very good against the run, which I don't think is entirely fair, but he can be a bit of an opportunistic player. He turns it on when it matters. He makes big impacts. But I'm not sure if he's as consistent in his approach as some other players. And even when you look at, you know, some of the other statistics, Ryan mentioned it in his article, you know, the combination of sacks, tackles for loss, and uh, and holding penalties drawn, Sean Lemon is right up there, right? But he's third in the league. There's two other players who are better at that impact category than Lemon is. So he's not necessarily the best player overall. And there are other players who deserve to be in that conversation. And he also plays on a defense in which there are multiple deserving guys. I'm not even convinced that Sean Lemming is the most talented defensive lineman in terms of just pure talent. I'm not talking production here on that defensive line, right? Ormalade has been fantastic. Mike Rose is very good on the interior They're all stout across the board. Now, I teased a hot take. If we really want to talk about who the most outstanding, that word right there, outstanding, defensive player is in the CFL right now, he plays on one of the worst teams, and that's Jake Serezna. And he's not going to get any votes because he missed a whole bunch of the start of the year. He's only played nine games. You know how many sacks he has in those nine games? Ten. He has 10 sacks in nine games as a defensive tackle, I might add. So he's not getting those pretty edge rushes against the tackles like Sean Lemon has had. He has almost as many sacks in six fewer games. And he has four forced fumbles as well, which a lot of people will point to. Sean Lemon's five forced fumbles league leaguing as one of the big reasons why he should be MODP. Jake Serezna has four and again six fewer games if we were really being serious about who the most outstanding the most dominant player at his position is right now on defense it is the defensive tackle for the Edmonton Elks Jake Ceresna there's no way he's getting any what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with Shopify Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He looks for MODP. I'm sorry, JC. I understand that he's been good. Might get some all-star votes. But if you're looking at the overall statistics, and I understand that DT does a great job of tracking these, but we need to understand what actually constitutes a pressure and I think there's something to be said for the Stampeders leading the league in sacks and the effect that Lemon has coming off that edge, helping Rose and the other guys on that defensive line record the 44 sacks that they have to lead the CFL. So I think that you can't just look at pressures and you got to look at least the tangible impact. Five forced fumbles is insane. Like I think Lemon might be on pace to – potentially set a league record for career force fumbles. The dude gets there and gets the ball out, which is what you're ultimately paid to do on defense. Guys aren't getting paid for pressure numbers. Okay. And we don't even know what necessarily constitutes a pressure under DT's metrics or definition or under anybody else's definition, because I think it could come from multiple different ways. I think lemon to me, when you look at, the team and where they are and the fact that Calgary is a legit Grey Cup contender and could have a home playoff game. The fact that he has double digit sacks at 34 years old is unbelievable. And if we're going to look at Willie Jefferson, especially winning the award in 2019, Lemon already has just as good, if not better numbers potentially by the end of the season. So I think for me, he is the lead candidate right now. I understand Winston McManus could be there, but he plays in the East Division. And as Hodge mentioned, he's going to be out for a month. He has been great, no doubt, and is a worthy guy, definitely as an East All-Star and maybe even at the league level as a CFL All-Star. But right now, it's Lemon, and you got to make a strong case for somebody other than Jake Ceresna, who's on a losing team, to even be in my conversation at least. But let's, before let's, we move on, I just want to point out, before the season started, JC and I could, like completed top 50 ballots for TSN's top 50 players list. Jake Cereza did not appear on JC's ballot. He did not appear on TSN's list. But there was one person who had him at number 29. And I'll let you figure out who that person was. Mr. John Hodge, I love it. Calling out JC again, buddy. Well, 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 well. that's right. <laughs> Let it kudos to you, Hodge, but let's get one more thing straight. Yes, you have a you do have to take some of these advanced statistics and where they're coming from with a grain of salt. I appreciate that dunk. But if you are a football team and you're paying guys based on their sack numbers and not their pressure numbers, you're an idiot. Flag <laughs> out. Sacks are not right. Sacks happen to cage like that that's not a good way to track defensive line performance on sacks pressures are far more consistent just as impactful that is the statistic you should be tracking at the team level to make your decisions not how many times a guy got lucky or had a cleanup because someone else did the work for him i'm not disagreeing that pressures are not impactful as a former 
university quarterback in this country. But I think ultimately you get paid to convert and you need to get there and get the quarterback down. I don't care if it's cleanups. I don't think Lemon has had too many of those anyways. And he gets the ball out, man. Like that's the thing about modern defenses. It's about forcing turnovers, getting the football. And he does that when he gets there. I understand that there's an argument to be made for cleanup sacks, but I think he's helped Mike Rose and Orlean or Malad get some cleanup sacks on that defensive line as well. And that's why pressure is an open definition in my books and everybody's going to have a unique view on it, which is why, of course, I respect JC's and Hodges takes on this as well. The Carlson Ravens and Ottawa GGs drew over 23,000 fans. The Red Blacks would like to get to that number at some point to the 53rd Panda game this past weekend with the GGs coming out with a 37, seven win. The game is famous for its party like atmosphere. It is really great. And I think, creates a lot of school spirit and lasting memories, but things may have gotten a little out of hand following the game as police arrested seven people for reasons, including public intoxication and mischief, describing the behavior as quote, unacceptable, dangerous, and in some cases criminal close quote. If the crowd can't be controlled properly, is it time? I hate even posing this question, but to think about canceling the panda game. No, that's garbage. I'm sorry. I, I'm not from Ottawa. I, I did not grow up going to the Panda game. This is something that I've learned about as the years have gone on covering Canadian football in this country. Um, but that number you said, Dunk, 23,000. I mean, I mean, the Panda game set an all-time attendance record in 2019 with over 24,000. And you are correct, by the way. That crowd is larger than any of the Red Blacks have had this season at TD Play Stadium, even though their attendance has been relatively good, especially when you take their record into account this season. Um, this is a phenomenal game. This is a phenomenal event. It has some some bad history. There were there was a game in the 80s where a bunch of people got injured, which is obviously very unfortunate, um, though I believe that had to do with the failings of the venue more so than than anything else. Um this is not behavior that is acceptable, but that said, it is behavior that is in line with what you would find at any major sporting event in any college town in the United States and in many of the prominent sporting events across Europe, specifically what they call football, what we call soccer. Um, college kids partying in the streets one night a year is not a big deal. And I'm not condoning the behavior. I saw videos of people climbing telephone poles, of people trying to stop a bus from driving down the street. Obviously, that's not acceptable. But it is also not beyond the pale of, of what happens on a regular basis um, in equivalent communities for equivalent games. And the pearl clutching that is being done in that city, especially by people who live extremely close to a university that's been there for over you know longer than any any person on this planet has been alive it's not like the university popped out of the blue one day and it's like whoa my house is close to a venue that might at some point have rowdy you know young adults partying <laughs> at night like it, I, I find it ridiculous um and no it's not time to cancel the panda game it might be time to have more police around the panda game it might be time to coordinate ways in which students can get to and from the game a little bit more safely. It might be time to come up with new protocols and policies surrounding the Panda game. 
but canceling this game would be the stupidest decision I think I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I agree with you, Hodge, right? There's no excuse for illegal behavior, dangerous behavior. And quite frankly, I thought this year was an improvement from last year in which a car got flipped. So we're taking steps in the right direction. There was an improved police presence as well, which the, the universities partially footed the bill for, which I think is acceptable as well. But college kids are going to find a way to do this no matter what. And all of this nimbyism, and for those who don't know the term, nimby means not in my backyard, from all these people living around these universities is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it shows you exactly why they call Ottawa the city where fun went to die. I mean, this is a fantastic event. It's one of the closest things we have in this country to a real college sporting atmosphere. We should treasure it. We should elevate it. Now, I'd like to see the universities take some initiative and provide areas for the students to congregate and party that are not in the middle of the street. Perhaps we can take some initiative in that regard as well. But they're going to do that sort of stuff no matter what. We have an opportunity to elevate something special within a college football atmosphere in this country and and the results are not dramatically different from what happens in cities a quarter of the size south of the border with five times as many fans right so i i have no sympathy whatsoever for the people complaining and calling for the panda game to be canceled that's an absolutely ridiculous take the same people complaining calling for the game to be canceled need to understand how much money is brought into their city by those students coming to those universities year after year after year. I see it at the University of Guelph. It brings a great amount of economic flow into the city and downtown. And really downtown Guelph is outside of the town. He's dead in the summer when the students are here. It's bumping and it's fun. There's a police presence down there. Homecoming here, and I'm just speaking from my own experience, has by and large part been great when there's usually 10,000 plus people at Alumni Stadium, regardless of the team's records that are playing. And it's done really well. So I'm not condoning anything that happens, whether it's at Guelph's homecoming or in this instance at the Panda game that is offside or is that potentially criminal, but the police will deal with that. So I totally agree with you guys. We need to celebrate this event. We need more of them in this country to grow the game of football. I've been a major advocate and going back to Guelph, they're actually doing it where they let all the students into all of varsity games for free. We need to create some school spirit. And this is one of the ways that you do this with events like this. The Panda game is unbelievable. You have the Gigi's fans on one side, the Ravens fans on the other. And it's just a great atmosphere to be a part of. It creates memories for those students, players, coaches, everybody involved in the game, regardless of the outcome, to look back on for years to come. And that's part of the university experience. And we've all been in university and we darn well know whether it was us or our friends or anybody else, they're going to find a way to party somehow, some way. So I just hope that we can understand that this is a great event. 
give it the security and the police presence that it requires. Don't be overwhelmed by it on the day that it happens. Be ready to prepare for some of those delinquents and deal with them and arrest them and throw them out of the game if you have to. But outside of this, we should be hyping this up. It's a great event. It never matters what the GG's record is or the Ravens record is. It doesn't even matter the score of the game. That building was packed all the way until the end. And there was a little bit of talk about the GG's running up the score. But credit a lot of those fans and the majority of them students for staying there the entire time. We need more of these events in Canadian university football, creating that connection with the students and the bond and the school spirit. I think we need sometimes the people in the world of academia to take a step back and understand that it's actually a positive for the school. I'm not talking about the arrest, but I'm talking about these big time events because that's how you draw in the national media to potentially even want to cover your games. And guys, as an example, the way that it's going right now, the Yates Cup, the oldest trophy in North America, might not even be broadcast on standard TV this year. The games are done out west by Bamboo Shoots, and Sastel is a big backer of it. It goes out provincially. The Canada West Football Showcase does a great job of putting those games and broadcasts on and highlighting the student-athletes. And yes, I'm biased because I'm a part of it, but it's a great example of how you can get sponsors on board to build your product. And we need more of that in this country if we want amateur university and pro football, because I believe that could benefit the CFL as well to be something that can grow and that we can all be proud of. Absolutely. And there's ways to piggyback off of it too, right? If I was the CFL, I would try to have the Montreal Alouettes visit Ottawa every year, the day after the Panda Bowl, right? Or the Panda game. Right. And you could call it whatever you want. You could call it the, the koala bowl. I don't give a, I, I don't care. Right. Find a way to piggyback off of it because at the end of the day, this is a great event. And by the way, for anyone who's curious, yes, 23,000 fans at this game. If you look at the attendance figures for Carlton and Ottawa previously this season, they're not drawing big crowds. This game is like 10 times the crowd that they had earlier. Yes. There are U sports teams that draw really well. Laval, Montreal, Western, Saskatchewan, right? These are teams that can fill, maybe not a CFL stadium, but they can fill a relatively large university stadium. Uh, but this game needs to continue. And by the way, can we also just say this? Young adults need to do stupid things because that is how you get less stupid as a real adult. So let the, let, let the young people do stupid things. It's the only way you get less stupid. It's time to move on. Hodges heritage moment on this day in 2013, John Cornish recorded a career high 208 rushing yards in a 38 11 victory over the Winnipeg blue bombers. The star running back would finish the season with 1,813 yards, the fourth best single season total in league history. The native of new Westminster, BC captured a number of awards following his remarkable season, including CFL most outstanding Canadian CFL most outstanding player. And of course the prestigious, Lou Marsh Trophy. Boys, have you ever seen somebody run for over 208 rushing yards in a game? 
Well, yes, I mean, definitely have seen that before in a game, but per game, it's certainly rare. I mean, you would have to think back to Mike Pringle, and there's some guys that have done it at the U Sports level. Andre Dury and Jesse Lumsden absolutely tore up the OUA. I'm sure there's some running backs that I forget at the Canadian University level as well, but in the pros, man, it's almost unheard of outside of Pringle. Yeah, if you want to talk Canadian University level, my my recollection of Agil Nicky's Heck Crichton winning season at the University of Alberta. He was probably 200 yards a game there as the only part of that offense. The only time I've seen a single player being entire football team was Agil Nicky for the Golden Bears. But in terms of John Cornish, there are exactly, in my short time watching the CFL, again, I'm a young guy. I've always said there's been two players that I watched play in this league that I looked at them and I said, they're too good for this league. They, they're out of place. And that was Cam Wake and John Cornish. I thought he was absolutely unstoppable as a running back. He used to decimate uh, my beloved Edmonton teams every time he played them. But I think that's changing now. I think I can add a third name to that list because I believe Nathan Rourke deserves to be in that category. <laughs> and I just had to bring him up just I for thought, you, Hot. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jake Ceresna. Which <laughs> 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 don't get me wrong. Fantastic player. I thought, man, uh, putting Jake, Jake Serezo in that category might be a little bit hyperbolic. I will say I feel bad. Adam Williams of the University of Toronto Varsity Blues rushed for well over 200 yards this week against Windsor in a big win. And I neglected to highlight him in my Around You Sports column. So my apologies to Mr. Williams. I'll credit you here on the podcast. Let's get to the three-minute drill. The Blue Bombers acquired defensive back Alden Darby via trade from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Was that a smart move? It is. I don't think we're going to see Nick Taylor or Demario Houston back. Bombers are banged up in the secondary. He obviously knows the system from playing in Winnipeg in 2021. Miami Dolphins confused their opponents ahead of Thursday Night Football by having 12 players on the field during walkthrough. Do you think they ran any CFL plays? I think they just stuck a random receiver out to the far side of the field and made him run some meaningless route that had nothing to do with the play. So, yes, I think they did run, run a CFL play. Dunk, you reported that a portion of Taylor Cornelius and Jake Mayer's contract extensions are going to be partially guaranteed. Is this going to be the start of a new trend across the CFL? It will be, but all players, this is a PSA for you out there, okay? Because I've got a number of messages from some people around the league. It's not guaranteed that you're going to get guaranteed money. The team still has to decide to give you that guaranteed money. You can get up to half of your base salary in the final year of any multi-year contract guaranteed. But I believe largely this money is going to be slotted for, of course, starting or franchise quarterbacks and premier players, but we'll see how far it trickles down as this goes along. It's a monumental breakthrough for the Canadian Football League Players Association, led by President Solomon Elamimian, and something that has been a long time coming in the CFL, considering guaranteed money has been given out in the NFL for a number of years. Edmonton Elks receiver Kenny Lawler underwent season-ending surgery on his collarbone. Ouch, man. Is that a big loss for the team? It is, and obviously it's it's a shame that Mr. Lawler's had to undergo surgery. To me, though, boys, I feel robbed because I think that at the CFL's trade deadline, which happens Wednesday and will probably go by, you know, with, you know, nothing going on, I think there's a chance Lawler would have gotten traded 
to be a number one receiver on, let's be honest, basically any other team in the league. JC, you wrote an article highlighting 10 midseason candidates to win the Heck Crichton Trophy as the top player in U Sports football. Who do you see taking home the hardware? Right now, the clear front runner, and I'm not sure there's anyone who can quite knock him off, is Mason Nias, the quarterback for the University of Saskatchewan Huskies. Nias. Fifth year. Nias. 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 That's what I said, isn't it? Nias. Anyway. Nias. Anyway. Mason Nias. Absolutely fantastic for the University of Saskatchewan Huskies is having a stellar year. The only guy maybe who could catch him if he has a couple more fantastic games. I like Kevin Mattel, the receiver from Laval. He is absolutely dominant, without question, the best pass catcher in the country right now. Toronto Argonauts long snapper Jake Reinhardt retired after eight seasons with the team. Did that surprise you? did a little bit because I know Reinhardt. I used to play against him in the high school Guelph football league back when he was just getting going, but he had that nasty arm injury, and I think he you know, didn't want to risk another one of those happening. He is a proud dad now, and he'll move on and save a little bit of his health, but full credit to Reinhardt. He was a great long snapper, and I hate saying this because it's a cliche, but an even better dude, man. He would run through a wall so great to play against and then play with the University of Guelph. Blue Bombers added Canadian offensive lineman Jacob Zott to the practice roster. Did that move pay off? I think so. It's that time of year you always need depth in case an injury happens along the offensive line. Zott is a guy who's very comfortable at guard and at center. So nice versatility there. Riders GM Jeremy O'Day doesn't anticipate upgrading his offensive line at the trade deadline. Does that make sense? It makes sense in the sense that I don't think there's anyone that would have been available to him that would have been a dramatic upgrade. And also along the offensive line, it's more to do with chemistry than anything else. Plugging a guy in for the last four games of the season, I don't think it would have helped them much. The Ticats released defensive back Desmond Lawrence, who was named the team's most outstanding rookie nominee in 2021. Is that a surprise? It was to me. Now, we're never going to get the real story publicly, at least, from Orlando Steinauer because he just doesn't like to do that for whatever reason. But watch what will happen. Lawrence is going to go to Winnipeg, and he's going to play some darn good football for the Blue Bombers. That dude is talented, and I could see him having a long stint there if he's back fully healthy and ready to go. The Edmonton Elks have officially lost 15 straight home games, setting a new all-time pro football record. Chris Jones doesn't want to talk about it, won't address questions from the media. How lame is that? The whole situation is super lame, and I don't blame any Edmonton Elks fans who are extremely frustrated with their football team. The Toronto Argonauts lost former first-round NFL draft pick Shane Ray for the rest of the season with a torn bicep. Is that a big deal? It is a big deal. Ray, I don't think, has been an elite defensive end in the CFL by any stretch, but he's still their best edge rusher in Toronto. Losing that going into the playoffs is definitely very impactful. In his first interview since being fired as Alouette's general manager in 2019 amidst allegations of financial impropriety, Kavis Reed has denied accusations that he attempted to circumvent the salary cap via a player's shell corporation, saying he was, quote, 
given too much credit for being the smart guy, end quote. Do you buy Reed's story? I don't, and that is all that needs to be said. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Three Donation Podcast. We'll be back next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.